uh, an interesting set, I would have to say. And I'm glad we discussed them, I think. You, Maybe. you did? <laughs> well, now you know about dying constipated scorpions. <laughs> Everything I always wanted to know. And moose crash test dummies. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the 43rd episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. We are a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anybody science adjacent and perhaps even hobbyist. My name is Susanna and I'm here with my co-host Jerome. Hi. Today we're going to talk about the Ig Nobel Prizes of 2022. Now these were already awarded in September, but we didn't have the chance to talk about them since we had so many amazing guests lately. Uh, but now we're going to take our opportunity to uh, talk about this um, really funny, interesting research that was awarded Ig Nobel Prizes. So, let's start! Okay, another episode, Jadon. It was actually your idea to talk about these uh, Ig Nobel Prizes. I have many ideas, you'll have to be more specific. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but why don't you start with telling us a little bit about what these Ig Nobel Prizes actually are? Yeah, sure thing. So the Ig Nobel Prize, as the name sort of suggests, is a more satirical joke on the Nobel Prizes. This was founded in 1991, and it was made by the, it's organized by the Annals of Improbable Research, a sort of scientific humor magazine. And what happens here is that it's, an, it's a prize or an award that's awarded to research that is, as they themselves put it, it makes people laugh first and then makes them think. Uh, and as you'll soon see from some of the, the, the winners of this year, the, the titles of their, their research, it, it will indeed make you laugh. And yeah, so what happens at these awards is that the researchers will uh, get this Ig Nobel Prize handed to them by a Nobel laureate. And this takes place at Harvard. And then apparently uh, afterwards, they can then give like a speech or a public lecture at uh, MIT. Um, I think that's basically it. But uh, these past few years, it was online, right? Yes, that was it, yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's basically the Ig Nobel. Cool. Well, let's start with the first one. It was awarded for safety engineering. That's the category, at least. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's actually not a paper. It's a thesis, a master thesis. Now, I think if you win the Ig Nobel Prize for your master thesis, then you have sort of made it already. I mean, that definitely stands out more than a journal uh, publication, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of cool. <laughs> But um, the whole thing it was about, it's actually called Moose Crash Test Dummy. Because apparently, moose car collisions are uh, a huge problem with many fatal outcomes. All parties involved are not happy about it, I guess. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but apparently, um, this, is a, this is a real problem, of course. And people have been getting really injured. And uh, they really needed a method to better stage these accidents so that you can sort of test how to make cars safer for this. Mm -hmm. And to do this, they needed a moose dummy to crash into, basically. And before that, before this, no one had ever made one. Apparently not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they went to the zoo and they uh, investigated moose, mooses. <laughs> and they investigated mooses there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to do. I don't know either. <laughs> they, they investigated some, some mooses there. Uh, and they also uh, used a recently killed and still warm moose um, to yeah. uh, rigorously uh, investigate it. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, get an idea for the animal structure. And then they made it out of rubber and metal plates, uh, metal bases and rubber rubber plates. Mm-hmm. Um, made a moose dummy that apparently can be used multiple times in crashes. And they also made sure that the center of gravity and the shape was moose-like. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they also used some, uh, uh, some modeling and everything for it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's still science, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, and they crashed some cars into it. Uh, I believe there was at least one Volvo involved in this. Oh yeah, two modern saps and one old Volvo. <laughs> and apparently the crash results were very much like the cars that had run into a real moose. So um, yeah. And the correct plural for moose is moose. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just, uh, I'm glad you looked it up because I didn't know. Yes, we scienced this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, wow. <laughs> But I think if you if you get this as your as your master's thesis, that's already pretty cool. No, for sure. I mean, you you can say you've attended an award ceremony and won an yeah. Yeah. No. Many people. And I'm sure know. I'm sure it is a real problem. I'm sure, but it just sounds so funny. Y- Which y- is the thing with most of these things, right? Yes, but uh, this I think yeah Sweden. It probably is a big problem in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> Scandinavia, they say. Scandinavia. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Jadon, what is our next one? Yeah, so the next prize is in art. There's the Art History Prize, which was awarded to the Netherlands because Ooh. amazing, amazing research only comes out of the Netherlands. Um. <laughs> Guatemala, USA, and Austria. Okay. Um, and the title of the study is A Multidisciplinary Approach to Ritual Enema C- Scenes on Ancient Maya Pottery. Wait, what? Yes. No. Yes. Wait, what? Yes. Ancient, the ritual enema scenes on ancient Maya pottery. I don't know how much clearer I can get about <laughs> that. <laughs> you, yeah. Um, okay, okay. So, um, in what they talk about is that... Um, that the Mayans have yeah, pottery that indicates anima scenes, and this rep- undoubtedly represents <laughs> rituals, may, which may very well indicate that the ancient Maya took intoxicating enemas in a ritual. Oh, wait, wait, wait! There yeah. were drugs involved too. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. They, they, they believe it was some sort of alcoholic beverage. Wait, but I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. So. So it's funny because in their abstract, they say that there was this sort of held belief of the Maya being this sort of contemplative people. They're very, Uh you know, yeah, smart and I guess. (laughs) Um, And now this this whole enema (laughs) scenes depicted on their pottery apparently is the other camp of, but they also did this. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And they also talk about the occasional display of vomiting actors, which would seem to provide a plausible reason for why the Maya had to switch to rectal application of an alcoholic beverage instead of drinking it, because otherwise you would vomit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, so yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It had to be taken rectally. I, there's no other way, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that somebody in the Netherlands spent some time on this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anecdotal, ev- ex- anecdotal experimental evidence suggests that an alcoholic liquid may certainly induce or intensify a state of inebriation. Anecdotal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I read that. And I, was, I need to say this on the podcast. <laughs> ah, so he tried it himself. 
Yeah, well, actually, they interviewed him on the ceremony, and the author said, "Yes, yes, I have tried this." Oh my god! <laughs> But you shouldn't go above ten percent alcohol concentration. Um. Okay. Yeah. So he no 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 he he said this on the, at the ceremony that he tried it. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> I believe it was actually the Dutch author. <laughs> well, I'm glad he showed up for the ceremony and was like proud of what he did. Yeah, yeah, he's committed. You you don't research this and you know half-ass it as if you mm -hmm. will. So uh, yeah, no, that was it. I don't know what what more anyone could ever want from anima research. <laughs> no, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. So what what do you what can you do to top that? Okay, so the next one is a bit more serious topic. Oh. Serious. <laughs> yes, it's about well, it's it's a price for medicine. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the research was based in Poland, and the title is "Ice Cream Used as Cryotherapy During High Dose Mephalin Conditioning Reduces Oral Mucositis After Autologous Hemopoietic Stem Cell Transplantation." Okay, yeah. so the <laughs> the thing of this paper is that uh, these are patients that have to undergo uh, some forms of toxic chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and with this, this really harms their mucosal in their throat. And this is apparently one of the worst side effects of this treatment because it really impacts their life. And sometimes they cannot eat well anymore. So they have to be uh, intubated. No, not intubated. They have to get a tube for feeding mm. and stuff. So that's really, really bad. Yeah. And now they know that it helps um, if you keep ice chips in your mouth while you get this chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. The only problem is that it lasts a couple of hours and uh, the chemotherapy toxicity stops relatively quickly after they stop giving it. But during those couple of hours, you then need to constantly give those ice chips in your mouth for it to work properly. And then people often stop earlier because they don't, they think it's too cold and they don't like it, whatever. Yeah. And uh, a lot of institutes were actually giving patients nice tasting ice cream uh, because that worked just better you know people mm. people uh, had to eat that very slowly and so they were doing that but nobody had actually investigated if those ice creams would also work so they these people thought well hey that that seems like a good thing for research so they actually reevaluated data from that was already available so they mm -hmm. didn't have to do this like specifically Um, and then they had in total 74, uh, 74 patients, mm -hmm. uh, of which 52 received the cryotherapy, 52 received the cryotherapy with the ice cream, mm -hmm. and then the other ones did not. I'm not exactly sure why these patients chose to not do it at all, but I guess there was a reasoning. Hated ice cream. <laughs> yeah, but you could also do the ice chips, so yeah. I don't know. Uh, and then they tested that uh, it really indeed helped to give these patients ice cream. And this ice cream was just sourced from like the hospital cafeteria. And they were actually given three doses throughout the couple of hours that they were sitting there. Uh, and they had to eat it just slowly and then it it helped. So uh, I guess in terms of patient happiness, it's actually a really interesting, important study that it it helps good enough. Published in scientific reports. So, yes, yeah, that, uh... Uh, but I can understand why it's sort of a type of study that makes you laugh a bit first. Like ice cream as a as a treatment is a is a bit interesting, right? No, for sure. Yeah. But I honestly think it's a really cool paper. So uh, 
No, for sure. I agree. It's actually helpful for, for, for patients. I mean, this yes, improves their quality the of life. It's the most translational one out of here, I think. Yeah. Are you saying the animals don't translate <laughs> well? <laughs> I wouldn't. I just wouldn't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just not for me. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, what is our next one, Jadon? Yes, so the next paper, is, or the next prize, sorry, is the biology prize awarded to Brazil at Colombia. They actually published like three papers on it, um, but I'll only really highlight, I guess, their their main one. Um, the one that won the prize? I get, Yeah, well, yeah, all three of them are sort of listed, but mm, uh, okay. yeah. So it's a, the title of the, the paper is Short and Long-Term Effects of an Extreme Case of Autotomy Does Tail Loss and Subsequent Constipation Decrease the Locomotor Performance of Male and Female Scorpions? So, okay, well, uh, that's very different than what I just talked about. <laughs> yes. So some clarification. If you're unfamiliar with autotomy, that's basically like losing a limb or a body part to sort of get away, I guess, from like predators and stuff like that. Okay. So apparently these types of scorpions that they look at in this this study are able to basically eject their 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 scorpion tail and part of their the lower lower part of their yeah digestive Abdomen, yeah. yeah their digestive system specifically oh. their anus to the point where yes they might sur- they'll survive and they lose like twenty five percent of their body mass but they also are permanently constipated. But they cannot eat anymore then. No, they can eat. It just they 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 are permanently constipated, and they'll eventually die in, after a couple of months. Uh, but but so <laughs> this is a lot to take in, of course. Um, but the the benefit of this sur- sort of survival tactic for the males is that they can still reproduce in those couple of months. Oh yeah, because that's not located the, on the tail. No. Yeah. Okay. So they just cannot do every like poop. <laughs> But in the meantime, that they can have like sex. That seems like a major problem. <laughs> oh, no, they'll definitely die. They, 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 there's no way around that. But in the meantime, they, they can sex, a... yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, but this paper <laughs> yes. was not interested in any of that because that was still already known. Oh, yeah, okay. It was actually interested in figuring out whether losing your tail had short-term or long-term effects on their ability to move. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and did it? Um, short-term, no, not for males or females. Long-term for males. Why only for males? I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> <laughs> but basically that even though it would long term impact the males sort of perform like locomotor performance, as long as they manage to have sex over in that time, they're okay. Uh, <laughs> They'll still die. Oh yeah, but it's I also okay. see standing here, death by constipation takes several months. Yeah, exactly. Oh these poor animals. <laughs> and they got to live. <laughs> <laughs> for a couple of months. Okay. So <laughs> yes. yes so that's a thing that's a thing you can i'm so glad it's a thing just imagine if humans could eject a leg and anus and then die after a couple of months of constipation i mean yes <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't recommend <laughs> yeah but maybe we have the animals to make it all better yeah there there you go <laughs> <laughs> you have connected it all okay <laughs> it's all connected this entire ceremony was about enemas and uh, anuses yes. oh <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to your next paper. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> okay, my next one is for physics. And it's about trying to understand how ducklings manage to swim in formation. Uh, because, you know, if you see little ducks walking behind their mother, they're always in this nidro. Mm-hmm. And they also swim like that. 
and they were really interested in how how do the, these ducklings do this? How do they so perfectly go a certain distance behind each other, right? Yeah. Turns out they actually sort of surf the waves of their mother. Um, <laughs> so the first duckling surfs on the, the main wave of their mother, and mm. then the next duckling sort of uses the waves of the first duckling and the mother to sort of ride that. And in total, this all for for average one of the ducklings, it um, equates to 60% energy saving to surf these waves mm-hmm. while they swim. So that's why they do that and how they do it. And there's a lot more physics in this paper that I don't really understand. Uh, but uh, that's what it's all about. Okay. And they they mathematically and physically sort of calculated all of that. And yeah. 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 Hey, moving on to the next one. Jaron, tell yes. us. From ducklings, we segue perfectly into economics. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Specifically in Italy. No, but uh, the next prize is for economics. It was awarded to Italy. And uh, it was awarded for explaining mathematically why success most often goes to not the most talented people, but instead the luckiest. Yeah, I'm not surprised. No. Yeah. So um, (laughs) the title of the paper is Talent versus Luck, the Role of Randomness in Success and Failure. And... Yeah, what they what they did in this this paper is well, mathematically they run they ran some simulations. Use they sort of ran it on like a, a, a simulation of a thousand people that so you know like IQ is sort of normally distributed, and they sort of assume like your your talent and your skills are also normally distributed, but among these thousand people or thousand simulation things, they uh, also added the variable of luck and stuff like that, and they measure how much capital you accrue based on your luck. So uh, if something lucky happens to you, you sort of double your capital. And basically what ended up happening is that uh, much like in real life, where a small portion of like the overall population accounts for like a massive percentage of all the wealth in the world, mm-hmm. billionaires, basically, th- this also ended up happening in their simulation. It sort of mirrored this thing that they refer to a lot as the Pareto law, where 80% of all the results come from 20% of the the a group of people of like 20%. Okay. And yeah, luck just had like such a massive influence on like how well the 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 simulations performed mm-hmm. after lots of iterations. And they also then translate this into other things as well, not just like sort of capital, but also like uh, looking at grant funding for scientists and academic research as well. Oh. Um, so yeah, there's a lot more on that. It's a pretty long paper and with lots of calculations and statistics, but it's a pretty interesting read because it really just sort of hits on that, that thing about being sort of the society being kind of unfair Mm -hmm. with, with lots, like very few people getting outsized rewards, whereas lots of people being sort of poor and left at the bottom. And it's not necessarily due to talent or anything like that. It's just luck. So and they've mathematically shown it. So. Okay. And so. what do they say about grants? So basically, it's more about that um, it tends to be like there's this other principle called or uh, another effect called the Matthew effect where the rich get richer. Mm-hmm. So if you're a grant agency, you're more likely to give uh, a big grant to a well-known professor because sure. they've, de- they've had great results in the past and you think, well, probably they're going to have more great results and stuff like that. So you're more likely to, the, the prize money is more likely to end up there. Mm-hmm. But what 
they sort of show, well, not really show, but sort of suggest in their paper as well, is that you would be better off instead of giving off one big price pot and splitting off into tinier amounts so you can sort of distribute it among more people and see what comes out of that sort of distributing the money more to, to different researchers. Because it's not necessarily that the, the big professors are actually providing outsized results, really. It's they have more money, but their results are not necessarily better than if you had given it to someone else. Okay. So it's a large paper. It's a lot of statistics. It's pretty interesting. I actually want to read it in more depth. And it's also interesting. Two of these authors uh, for this paper have actually won an Ig Nobel Prize before. Oh. Yes. So this is their second time winning it. So in 2010, they won it for management, where they showed that, they, again, mathematically, that organizations would become more efficient if they promoted people at random. <laughs> again, sort of like the rich get richer. So if you're, be you're better off, like, spreading out and just promoting people at random, and then you could see sort of people who are talented but are getting passed up for opportunities make their way to the top more than the current system. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because maybe someone at the top would prefer hiring people who are dumber so they look better or something along those lines, I guess. But that's a completely separate paper. Yes. Well, the next one is for engineering. Um, and it's actually about trying to discover the most efficient way for people to use their fingers when turning a knob. I am intrigued. Well, I was too, actually. <laughs> problem is that this entire paper is in Japanese. I am more intrigued. <laughs> and the website it was almost also in Japanese. Yeah. Um, now, I did find uh, somebody who interviewed the person who wrote this, this paper. Mm -hmm. So I have to sort of trust what they write, right? Yeah. And apparently, uh, he is a designer of products. And he's a quite well-known designer, awarded and stuff for it. Uh, and he spent six years investigating this. <laughs> And his major findings are that if a knob is bigger, people tend to use more fingers. Uh-huh. And he, he exactly, like, investigated how many fingers for which size knob, of course. Ah, uh, yeah, there's, there's a and clear correlation, yes. The yeah, bigger uh -huh. the bigger the knob, the more fingers you use. So yeah. for from this to this size, you only use three fingers, and then, uh, you know. Yeah, up and, to five, I guess. Um, he also shows... Well, then the best position is for the, the grooves on this knob to be the best for your fingers. And he spent six years on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is a bit, bit, I mean, he's happy he won the prize. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also a bit confused. <laughs> this is some serious research right here. Because apparently he is like an award-winning designer who spent six years on this research and like, yeah. Yeah. Why is no one else investigating this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, apparently they do also uh, really try hard to include uh, Japanese. Well, at least in the last few years of the Ig Nobel, Japanese um, research also was uh, often a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Of the one. Uh, and uh, I think it's cool that even though this, this article is not in English, they still manage to include it. The abstract is in English, but that's all we get. Yeah. I mean, I guess like if you optimize and figure out exactly the, the, the ratio of fingers to knobs, maybe some multi-million billion 
dollar company might be interested in well them. yeah if you design a product it's actually relevant i think yeah. it was just really interesting to look at this paper and see all these pictures of fingers and different size knobs and have no clue what it was about <laughs> <laughs> so i'm glad somebody interviewed the guy yeah. and, and wrote it down in english it was nice yeah okay well then that brings us obviously to our next one which is applied cardiology prize <laughs> which was awarded to the Czech Republic, the Netherlands, UK, Sweden, and my home country, or Ireland, I guess, Aruba, surprisingly. Yeah, I, I didn't know science was done in Aruba. It's not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently it is. Yeah, yeah. You just missed it. I you could have been investigating. I could have been in nature. <laughs> oh, wow. This yeah, is this nature. Is nature. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I could have been in nature. I don't know what to do. Uh, yeah. Okay, but what what would have you actually been investigating if, if you were in nature? So if I were to win the Nobel Prize for Applied Cardiology, it in would Aruba, be... Yes. yes, yes, yes. It would be for seeking and finding evidence that when romantic partners meet for the first time and feel attracted to each other, their heart rates synchronize. Yes, let that sink in for a moment. But how? How did they investigate this? So I saw the video of exactly how that looked. You bas they basically recruited some people uh, for their sort of dating simulation thing um, and had the people sit sort of opposite each other in like a tiny room with like a sort of wooden frame uh, around them that they can only really see each other. They mm -hmm. had a lot of electrodes like put on top of them and stuff like that, measuring like heart rate, how much they're sweating, um, those kinds of things. And the the only thing that really correlated well with with whether the, the partners were attracted to each other or not wasn't heart rate or anything like that, but was whether their heart rates or whether their hearts uh, synchronized. So what that looked like on, a, for example, an ECG was that there were certain moments in their heart rates where like the, 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 the waves would go up together for both the male and the female or go down at the same time. Yeah, that was their major but find. How, how, so these people afterwards had to say if they found the person a threat? Yeah, I guess, yeah. Okay. Yes, so, yeah. And so this is called synchrony. And uh, they, 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 the authors were interviewed about this and they wanted to look more into the effects of synchrony on different types of decision-making as well and uh, how this affects sort of human life in general for things where we can't really regulate, right? can't really hide the fact that our heart rates are synchronizing with someone else's heart rate yeah but how how can you tell i mean measuring yeah but you as a person mm -hmm. doesn't know you know how your own heart is behavior and if you feel attracted to the other person mm -hmm. but you cannot tell if the other person is attracted back no there's no way for you like you uh, uh, as the individual to actually tell right but i mean i guess you could i am not sure about this one i mean nature human behavior baby yeah I don't know what to, what to tell you. It, yeah. Okay. Well, interesting for sure, I guess. Yep. I mean, I can see that it has some applications in the future of like, you know, you can maybe predict whether two people are actually attracted to each other. I don't know how you would actually 100% do that. I mean, you, you could, it could just be random chance that they synchronize, of course. In this case, I would think it was pretty controlled since they couldn't really be doing, they couldn't really do anything else. I don't know. I think it's interesting. And hey, chalk one up for Aruba. <laughs> yes. We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. 
Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph, completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. Okay, then the next one is the Peace Prize. And it's actually a very collaborative paper between China, Hungary, Canada, the Netherlands, UK, Italy, Australia, Switzerland, and the USA. The Netherlands is pretty, pretty yeah, present, yeah? true, <laughs> yeah. And it's for developing an algorithm to help gossipers decide when to tell the truth and when to lie. Everything I've always wanted. So it wasn't actually like the idea to develop an algorithm <laughs> to help gossipers decide when they have to lie and when they have to tell the truth. They just wanted to investigate when people were more likely to lie and when people were less likely to lie. Mm -hmm. So they have the gossiper and then the target who they're gossiping about. And then the middle person who is hearing the gossip. And they, ha they say that gossip is usually done with the intent to either solve a problem or like to have the, the person, the in-between person sort of talk with the targets and have something happen. Mm -hmm. um, and then the relationships between these three people are really important. Um, now they found that they are more often to lie if that benefits their friends or like uh, tell something way more positive about a friend or tell something negative that will help a friend. That is, that is what happens most of the time. Mm -hmm. Now, if they're both friends, both the, the in-between person and the other person is a friend, mm -hmm. then they will uh, benefit the people, person that they like the most or themselves. Of course, you always put yourself first mm -hmm. and then you try to help the friend you like the most. Yeah. And that's basically what they discovered. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there was also a lot of, it's quite a difficult paper to read, I find. Mm -hmm. uh, it's of course also not my field, I would say. There's a lot of math also in it. Mm -hmm. I, but yeah, that that's how I understood this paper. That in the end... You, you, it's all about the payoff for yourself and then about like the relations with the other two people. Um, but what I found, did find really interesting is that they do see gossip as a way to get something done. I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, you can, 
I'm thinking about this sort of politically, like you can sort of spread rumors about your political uh, opponents, I mm -hmm. guess, as well. So I don't know. I, I think gossip can definitely get things done. Uh, depending on what you how you use yeah, it. Yeah, but also not always in a in a negative way, apparently. No. No. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. I uh. can understand why it got the price. <laughs> 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 because they I actually read the interview of like the, the, the writers of this paper with with a and they actually said that they didn't understand why they were picked for for this award until somebody said that they were basically showing gossipers when to lie and when to not lie. Yeah. And then it all clicked, like, oh, <laughs> oh my God, yeah. that's not what we meant to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's funny. The, the, and then make you think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I guess that brings us then to the last prize oh. for, for the Ignoble this year. The Literature Prize. I know you're so excited. Everyone is so excited about it for this one right now. <laughs> but it was awarded to Canada, USA, UK and Australia for analyzing what makes legal documents unnecessarily difficult to understand. And this is where everyone's interests and ears percolate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what, what makes it so difficult? Um, poor writing, not spe specialized concepts, drives proce processing difficulty in legal language. So contrary to popular belief, it's not necessarily that the legalese or the use of difficult jargon uh, is what causes it, but like just poor writing in general. <laughs> so they they analyzed like 10 million words and also compared like uh, uh, documents that like, it says the exact same thing, but one is the legalese version as they themselves say it. And the other one is like, okay, it's straight to the point, no real jargon. This is what, it's the exact same thing just without the legalese. Um, and yeah, it's just literally the poor writing that ended up influencing the difficulty for people to to understand what they're reading and actually work with it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there 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 really isn't that much more to it. Uh it it's it's interesting just because I think we everyone who's ever seen anything legalese is just like, God, no. Yes. Um but apparently it's not the use of the jargon that is the the part that actually dissuades people or helps or this actively negates uh comprehension i guess i think it would be a lot better if they also just made understandable sentences with these difficult words true but i mean at a certain point you also didn't need to understand the words right and you're not mm. someone who's uh, familiar in that uh... but that's apparently not the biggest problem no <laughs> okay well that were all the ignoble prices yes uh, an interesting set i would have to say and i'm glad we discussed them i think you, you did. <laughs> oh, now you know about dying constipated scorpions. <laughs> Everything I always wanted to know. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> and moose crash test dummies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which one was your favorite? Um, I think it has to be the moose crash test dummies just because it's a, it's a, it's a master thesis. Ah, yeah. The, the... And I think that's cool. This is definitely like this master master student is getting any PhD they want. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. No, maybe maybe this is his career from now on. The moose moose crash test dummy guy. Yeah, maybe a company will snatch him up. You know. Yeah. Yes. Let's hope. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that was our episode. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments. Papers really, really need to read, or do you want to be part of our podcast? 
you can email us, thestrugglingscientist at hotmail.com or contact us via our website, thestrugglingscientist.com where you can also sign up for our amazing newsletter where you can keep up to date with papers like these and many other topics. And you can also find our amazing merch. And we also have social media where you can follow us. Jadon, which ones are those again? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and now also Mastodon. Yes. And everywhere you can find us as the Strongly Scientist. We're really happy that you listened to us again. And hope to see you all next time. Bye. Bye.